Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, welcome back to the Lace Mountain West Wire podcast. It's one everybody's been waiting for, I think. I think people have been waiting for a long time. Check us out, mwire.com. Facebook, Twitter, all that same stuff, Mountain West Wire, MWC Wire. And, hey, we got a new app as well, so check out the Sports Wire to get um, everything about the USA Today Wire stuff. So that's pretty cool. So myself, Jeremy Moss, Matt Carnelia, as always. Say hello, Matt. Howdy. You know how to do this, right? Oh, I know how to do it. <laughs> I'm just making sure it's a little hesitant. And then we have a uh, new guest tonight, Boise State writer. We have uh, Raja Prabala joining us this evening, so... Say hello, because it's been a while since you joined us on the show. Yeah, I think it was before um, the Mountain West Championship game. And, um, you know, Boise State, like you said, is the biggest deal in the Mountain West. So I think it's appropriate that we have three people on this podcast. It's a heavy load, right, to figure everything out? Yeah. And, okay, so here's what we do. We're just going to be a what we normally do, um, where we talk about the team, changes, all that fun stuff. If you've heard any of the other podcasts, thank you. Because, Raj, you've been telling me you've been listening to every single one. How, how, how have me and Matt been doing so far? Well, I, I I casually listen to them at work. I just have like have like five or six different podcasts. But like the last two days, I've been scouring the podcast, listening to every single one, trying to document any slight toward Boise State. How many? And, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, they've been pretty good. Um, just going through them, and um, you know, Matt's got all the stats, and you got the voice. So I think you guys got a good team. Excellent. So we brought you on because me and Matt, we I think we follow fairly closely, but we're. A little more broad. You're right in there. It's all Boise State, which is great, and that's why we have you and other people on the site write and join us every now and then on the podcast. So let's just start with the um, – we already know they're ranked. If, I guess I guess the ranking time is here because before we were doing these in May and June, and now we know they're 22nd. Let's start there. Do you think that's appropriate ranking? Because they're definitely ahead of UCF, which is correct. Well, I think it's kind of interesting because after this – this one time, no one's going to care about the coaches' poll again till the end of the year. True. So because just as a second poll, but since it's the first poll out, we're all making a big deal about it. But you know, I think Matt tweeted this. I was hoping to be in the high teens. I don't really think it really matters. But um, yeah, twenty-two, just as long as they're definitely ranked. So but and ahead of UCF. But Texas, right? Right, Matt. Right, right, guys. <laughs> I mean, well, I'll say I'll say what I've maintained all along. I firmly believe that if we lived in a just world, you know, Boise, Fresno, and San Diego State would all be in the top twenty-five. Boise, like Raja mentioned, would probably be somewhere closer to, you know, uh, wherever South Florida started last year. I think they were seventeen to start with last year. And, you know, to me, especially based on the way that the Broncos ended last year, you know, that seems. I mean, to me, it seems about right that all three of those teams should be ranked. But naturally, that's the defending champions coming off a big bull win from, you know, last December that the Broncos would be kind of leading this pack. That makes, that makes sense. That's where it should be, right? Well, that's where it problem. should be. I think that, like, most people, when they're doing this, they're going to – they're just going to put two mid-majors, maybe three. And um, GCF won the – 
won the New York's uh, New Year's Six game, so they got to be there. And Boise State represents the Mountain West, so I think a lot of people they're not looking at all 129 teams trying to figure out the top 25. They're just going through trying to pick the best teams from each conference, and they kind of lump the group of five together, and you try to pick somewhere between one to three based on the year. So I think that's kind of why Fresno State and San Diego State got squeezed out. I think for, we'll get to Boise stuff here. I think Fresno's out because was it a fluke? Was it really legit? Right. And you'll hear our Fresno show will be next, but their offense <clears throat> is probably going to be the biggest turnaround, I think, from production from last year to this year because McMarion will actually have an offseason, spring, all that good jazz to actually know everybody and know his team better. So I think they'll have the biggest improvements. That's why I thought they should be ranked, but we'll get to it later. So, But the biggest thing I want to start with you is coaching. A lot of these staffs, there's, oh, you lose guys to NFL, CFL, new new gigs around the country. Boise State's had some pretty good stability from all their coaches. They finally have, what, D.C., O.C., more than replacing every year. So, as I mentioned, how big a deal is that with Boise having that continuity? Because they lose guys every so often to a new school because Power 5 or a head coaching gig or just a cross-lateral position at a Pac-12 school. That is a really, really big deal. Uh, I think the only coach they lost was Ashley Ambrose, went to Colorado. But I think they brought back every other full-time coach. And, um, you know, Harson hasn't had that. And you can even go back to Chris Peterson. Like, you know, you'd always see, like, Wilcox, Pease, Harson, you know, one after another take off. So I think that's going to make a really big difference on the offensive side. Um, Andy Avalos, he's <laughs> he's getting a lot of love on Twitter and he deserves all of it because I remember when he got promoted defensive coordinator last year to go over for Marcel Yates. I, I like Andy Avalos, but I didn't know if he was going to be ready for taking the DC spot, but um, he obviously did tremendous and the offense side stayed the same. So um, that's going to be a pretty big asset, I think. All right. So if that's the same, which is clearly that rarely happens, but here, let's go with this. So, I got offensive. De- well, I'm sounding terrible today. I apologize. Let's, let me wrap this up here. Let's get just moving along. Let me actually get my pump, fist pumped in the air for Boise State because a lot of people are asking. I don't like Boise State, but that's not true. So I should get get that out of the way at the beginning. So with the quarters, everybody coming back. Let's just jump, jump in the offense because we're gonna make this um, longer podcast than normal, I believe. And Matt, you should jump in as well. I don't want to just dominate saying I'm doing all the talking here. I was not a fan of Montel Cozart playing at all last year for what he played. With Brett Rippin being the starter, the guy, how does that make – how do you think, Raj, would be any difference for their offense? Is it going to be that much better? Because I've always got, had the impression or the guys, if you're looking over your shoulder, it's always an issue. Like, oh, if you hit the guy in the feed, interception, just do any minor screw up, you'll be pulled out. Does that, how do you think it'll change if it's going to be him? Because I assume it's going to be 99% Rippin no matter what, unless it's like a blowout. Right. Well – the thing is, you know when you hear like two quarterbacks, a starter and the backup saying they're best friends, you know that's not true. But I do kind of think there was a bit of truth in that with Rippin and Cozart last year. They seemed to get along really well. And um, I think middle of the year when Rippin went on that unbelievable tear, I think he started um, maybe like week five. He went like like seven straight games with just two interceptions. Both of those came in one game. Um, I think that was at BYU. I can't remember. But uh, he won seven games with just two. And basically after that, he was really just – the starting quarterback. It wasn't a two-quarterback system. After like the fourth or fifth game, it was just a few packages for Cozart, and that was kind of just. I think Brian Harson did that because um, there's been a lot of quarterbacks that have just left when they didn't get their chance. So it, it meant a lot that a guy came and just said, "Hey, I don't care if I'm the starter or backup. I just want to play." But uh, yeah, Rippin will probably have 
a terrific year. He went crazy the last six, seven games. Mm -hmm. And if he played, and if he started and played like that the entire year, he would have been um, all con all conference team number one again. But you know, Nick Stevens, good year. So, but yeah, I, I, Ribbon's <laughs> gonna be Ribbon's gonna be crazy. So um, I think he's gonna have a really, really good year. I think he might even play himself into a late draft pick. But you know, <laughs> we can get there when we get there. But um. I think he's going to have a really big year. He's not going to have the safety blanket of Cedric Wilson. We could get there in a sec, but um, stability at coordinator is probably going to really help him, and um, this is last season. so. And you guys have talked about this a lot. Brett Ribbon, when he's on his game, he's probably the best quarterback in the conference. Like mm -hmm. It's not even close, but you know he's had bad games or bad stretches in games, and you know if he could just limit or eliminate that, then you know, the sky's the limit for this offense. Yeah, and I think to kind of piggyback off that last point, you know, I think when you look back at the way the quarterback situation unfolded last year in Boise, you know, you, when you look at Cozart's final line, especially, you know, 10 touchdowns, one interception, a slightly better completion rate than Rippon had himself, you know, slightly higher sack rate. But, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that on the whole, it worked out. But it had the effect, at least to me, of that lingering question of like, you know, how good can Brett Rippon be? Because, you know, there were a lot of games last year, especially against tougher defenses where, you know, even if Boise was winning some of those games, it wasn't necessarily because of Rippon. And I'm thinking like, especially about the, the opener against Troy, you know, he completed under 56% of his passes, no touchdowns, one interception. You know, they won big at San Diego State, but they didn't necessarily need him to do it. He only had 72 yards in that game on 11 completions. You know, he struggled a little bit in the championship game against Fresno. You know, and, and those are, you know, more isolated things. I think, you, as Roger pointed out, there was the long stretch in the middle of the year where he was just, you know, blowing people away. Like, he basically tore apart a, a pretty good Wyoming secondary, you know, tore apart a pretty good Utah State defense. And, you know, handled business against the likes of Nevada and Air Force and things like that. But, you know, I think, the, like he, like Raja said, there's that question of, you know, is he going to be able to do that all the time? Because if he takes a step backwards, like we kind of know that when he struggles, the team as a whole struggles. And for as much talent as they have on offense around him, He's still the guy that's going to make it go, and if if he like he said if he slips, then I think that that could mean trouble in the long run for the Broncos. Let's just make sure he throws no shovel passes, right? <laughs> just say <laughs> sorry for the memory on that one, <laughs> Washington State. Well, and the other thing, and we're going to probably transition to running backs right after this. And you guys touched on this quite a bit in the in your media days podcast, but. Um, Madison is really, really good. He's going to be a really good player, but he's not JHI. He can't just, you can't just give him the ball 35 times if Rippon's having a bad game. He is going to be a really good player, but you know he he just can't carry the whole entire offense by himself. So, you know, Rippon is the is the straw. So, you know, and really quickly, just go on that stretch. You look at so Wyoming 70 74 percent, um, no touchdowns and interceptions. Utah State. 70% three touchdowns. Nevada, 74% two touchdowns. Colorado State is 53 with four touchdowns and one interception. But you take out that first half and Ooh, yeah. you know, the stats <laughs> change a little bit. And then yeah. Air Force, 72% three touchdowns. And Fresno, the first game was 71%. So that is a pretty crazy stretch to be going through. 
So let's uh, move to running back, like I said, really quick. So who would you have first team? Would you have Madison or Washington? Because that seems to be the argument everybody's having. Or so we boot Lexington Thomas altogether and put Washington and Madison at number one. I, I think it's, it's tough. tough. Think, it is, yeah. <laughs> I think you guys made a good argument that Washington wasn't the guy last year. So that would be Boise State's argument. But the same argument could be made that Madison was banged up his um, – I mean, the, yeah, the Colorado State game, that was crazy, but there were obviously some games when, you know, he wasn't as productive, and then he got banged up again near the end of the year. But, um, yeah, I'm looking at his game log right now. He, <laughs> 118, 128, 91, 110, 64, 242, 42, 63, 50. Those are his rushing yards per game, and that's mm-hmm. a pretty big disparity. Yeah, it is, and it's like we could pull close because there's like, you probably said others for us. They're like, oh, Penny only had sit what under sixty yards in those two losses. But right. you can poke holes anybody. I think Madison has the potential to be that guy. It's, but maybe we're just over hyping Thomas. But I think I like yeah. there was the guys that went underdog dynasty. Like, why is San Diego State? They have a new running back. I'm like, well, did you know they bring back their entire offensive line that was like half freshman last year, and they have the track record. That's why I went with like the track record. They besides having just two two thousand back back to back. They've had go back to like Adam Wham, they've had all these guys running right. extremely well. So it's not a fluke that they've had these great rushing attacks. And Washington's played as a third string, as a backup, kick returning. So that's where I went from. But it was it's just super close. And if they're both healthy, just have as many running backs that are great as possible. Madison, he has right. potential like he had a thousand yards in a season, people are like, Yeah, it was just okay. Twelve touchdowns, a thousand, that's good. Maybe he'll get eighteen hundred fifteen hundred, but it's I don't know. It's uh, it's tough. I just we're just curious what you thought because you're the Boise guy and wanted to see what you had to say about it. Well, ultimately, doesn't matter. Like neither of them are gonna be like a Pumphrey, a Jai. They're not gonna be at that level, but they're both gonna be really good. So I mean, does it really matter debating it at this point? To some fans, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I think the good news for Boise is that. Madison, I don't think, necessarily has to be like at that Colorado State level every week for this running game to be, you know, well above average. You know, I think as long as they could be closer to that, to the struggles that they had at the beginning of the year, you know, if you look at some of the numbers, you know, there there wasn't that much difference between their performance last year and in 2016. But, you know, they did have a little bit of a drop off in short yardage situations, you know, power success rate that that's what they call it a football study hall like there was a slight drop off there there was a slight drop off in opportunity rate which is just basically the ability of a running back to get more than five yards or, or rather how many yards they get after the first five so i mean they, they dropped off a little bit in that regard they dropped off a little bit in getting stuffed at the line you know you know they were they were stopped at or behind the line a little more often than they were two years ago and I think as long as they can get trending in the right direction, you know, it's not necessarily about finding more explosiveness because, you know, the story of this team when they've been at their best being really efficient. And as long as Madison and, you know, whoever the understudy happens to be, whether it's Robert Mahone or, um, you know, Skylar Siebold, whoever picks up that RB, RB2 spot, it's not going to take all that much, I don't think, for the running game to be really good. Uh, I just want to add two things to that. I think that Matt's right, but I think the first three games, Madison is going to matter a lot more. They got tr- they got Troy on the road, then um, UConn at home, then hey, Oklahoma come State. Come UConn. Okay, UConn doesn't matter. And, and tomorrow, <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about that that podcast. It was funny, but 
That was Boise great. State in the football game was the fifth biggest topic. We'll talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> um, but um, the first three games, then they get to the bye week. And, you know, without Cedric Wilson, I think the wide receiver group, there's so much talent. But I think the first three weeks and the bye week will kind of just give them time where Rippon could just take off. So the first three games, they're going to maybe need to depend on Mass and more. And the one name that um, Matt didn't say for RB2 is um, Alexander Van Buren. You look at Boise State's tradition – or new tradition, I guess you could say, um, under Harson is they had Ajayi and they started playing McNichols as a true freshman, and then they burned the red shirt with Madison, I think, in game two, and he went. And I and I think um, Van Buren is going to be the next guy, and I think he's going to be really good. So I think he's going to work his way up to RB two by the time we get into the middle of the season. Even though I think Mahoney is a good, mm. good running back as well. Well, and also with Boise running backs, junior year is the big year. Like Doug Martin, uh, McNichols, Ajayi, Ajayi, they've had huge years, and so maybe this is it. Should be. Like, he should be better anyways from last year. Fully healthy, you would assume. Right. He has a stability offense, one quarterback. It's different when you're taking the handoff from Kozar to Rippon. It's There's some rhythm stuff that can um, – little hiccups here or there because it's not always consistent. But those good receivers, Cedric Wilson gone. A.J. Richardson should be really good. Jake Rowe um, nearly had a uh, touch for touch for touchdown ratio of one-to-one, one, which was pretty amazing for a while. So, so how concerned are you with receiver with losing Wilson, who's now in the NFL? Well, well, losing Wilson. That's, I know. I, I hadn't answered. Then you, then you sprung that on me in the last sentence. That's that's tough. You know, that, he was really good. If he had played four years at Boise State, he probably own all the he'd own all the yeah. records. But he only played two years. But um, that's tough. But I think there's a lot of talent on the team. They got uh, three really good true freshmen that I think at least one or two they're going to play. Actually, they had a fourth guy, but. He wasn't. He just. They just. We just found out he's not academically eligible. But I think Octavius Evans. He's um. He's a true sophomore. He played a little bit last year. I think he's gonna have a really like a breakout year. I kind of um. I did an article in June, just kind of messing around with a few other Boise State guys in a, in a roundtable. I said that I think Octavius Evans is gonna break out. But he's had a great fall camp. Like that's what the media is saying. Obviously, you know that's just the open portion of it. But you know Richardson's good. Killian Butler. He's a. He's a junior. He's been dealing with injuries. But and then. Stephen Codds and Khalil Shakir, they're both um, true freshmen. I think both of them are going to play. So I think there's a lot of talent there. It's just how how ready are they? I know Richardson is ready, but he's not going to carry the load by himself. Yeah. And um, tight ends, they lost not just um, Jake Rowe, but they lost their backup, yeah. Alex Danans, who was a good safety blanket. And now they just kind of have like a mixed bag with four different guys. And we'll see. We'll see who comes out of there. But um, – I'm not overly concerned. I'm concerned about the first three games till the wide receivers kind of work themselves out. I know they got the talent, but we don't know who are going to be the top two or three guys yet. Really quick before Matt, you hop in. So just I'm throwing this number out there because it's eye-dropping, or not eye-dropping, it's jaw-dropping or eye-popping. I forget that correct. Cedric Wilson <laughs> had 1,531 yards. The rest of the offense receiving group had 2,084 yards. That's like well, eight, eight other guys. I'm just saying that's a that's it's a pretty big pretty big loss when you look at it that way. When he had nearly half the receiving yards, one guy. Well, he just uh, I, I don't know, man. I thought he was banged up and he just kept on going and just kept on putting up crazy numbers. That Oregon game was crazy. I was at that game and we knew he was kind of banged up and he was having like ever since that Colorado State game. But every single time the ball just went to him, he just nabbed it. I mean, I don't know. I, he went crazy and. Um, the one other thing is that play with Cozart that he ran back. He he threw to Cedric Wilson every single time, pretty much. I mean, the only thing I could really add to that is, you know, you could have had this same conversation two years ago, mm-hmm. before sure. before Cedric Wilson stepped up to become the you know the second wide receiver next to Thomas Spurback. 
and I think, you know, more so than probably any other position that Boise State has really benefited from recruiting really good receivers for like the last three or four years. And to me, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, as, as Raja alluded to, how much they lean on the young guys like Evans and, you know, Butler and those guys versus kind of the, the more veteran receivers, like, for instance, Sean Monster, who I don't think anybody's mentioned yet. Yeah, you know, because at least among the guys who are coming back this year, he was their second leading returner or second leading returning receiver, rather. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while you might like to see maybe a little more big playability out of him, you know, if he can be that reliable guy on the inside, you know, maybe that slot receiver that Boise seems to have two or three of every year. You know, he's had a pretty solid catch rate last year, right around 60%. So did Richardson. You know, so did John Bates, as, as you know, Roger mentioned at the head end possession. So they have guys who can catch the ball. And it's just going to be really interesting to see whether they lean on the vets who have been around or whether the young guys can break out and find themselves a role. Well, look at the young guys. Like, look at the recruiting numbers. Every like, true freshman, like, high, more highly rated than almost anybody who's experienced. And with the new rule, maybe they'll get to play against, say, UConn or other teams to get ready for either get them going to figure out how good they are or save them to the end. But they have plenty of young guys who who knows how much they'll contribute this year. But you have guys that are sh- – projected whatever you want to use the word are going to be better than who they have having the field down so that's just gonna add to a ton of depth because they do bring back a lot of receivers who played it's just right. when you lose like your superstar who's like i mentioned over but 1500 of the 3500 yards went to him it's going to take a lot of guys to build up to replicate that as a group and i think they have young guys to do it it just might kind of be a rotating base where one guy goes three for 40 in the score you know what I mean, five for 50 or you know I mean, just rotating guys where you may have a dozen guys who have 10 catches each or something. Yeah. I think, um, Sean monster, that was, um, and, uh, that was a pretty bad admission by me. Um, he dropped a few passes last year. Um, you know, he's a senior. It's good to have a guy like that. Yeah. But both, both him and AJ Richardson, even though Richardson looks like an athlete that would run really big, he, most of his pass, most of his damage was done underneath and same with monster. Um, just kind of moving on to tight ends. Well, really quickly, like you were saying, the true freshman, I think Shakir will probably play and maybe Cobbs will play. So that that's five wide receivers, I think, if you look at Shakir or, or Cobbs and then Richardson, C.T. Thomas, Sean Monster, Butler, and Evans. That's six wide receivers right there. And, you know, they'll figure it out. That's why I think just getting to the bye week, if they can get to the bye week 3-0 and – then kind of figure it out. That's going to be pretty dangerous. And just kind of moving on to tight ends, they got a true freshman um, who they got, I think, um, after the early signing day, Tyniel Hopper, who was a big-time grab, and um, I think he'll play as well. All right, so let's move on to the offensive line because we go each position group, even the linemen, because it's super important if those who know football, that's kind of a big <laughs> deal. So this is the one – well, there's a couple concerns on the Boise offense, but typically we know <clears throat> they should be fine. But like I said, open up Troy, Oklahoma State, week three. They lose a couple of pretty big offensive linemen, like Mason Hampton, Archie Lewis. But And last year, there's a lot of – what will help them, I think, is that we saw last year. How many – Matt, you probably noticed. You always pull us up. How many combinations of offensive linemen did they use because of injuries? They used quite a bit. I, I tried to find that, and I, and I couldn't oh, before I got on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that they have at least six or seven guys who saw extensive playing time last year. So, you know, losing Hampton, losing Lewis probably won't hurt as much as it might have, you know, with an average team, with a team that's not Boise State. 
Yeah, just just subjectively, just looking at their depth chart, um, there's seven guys that I'm pretty sure that played last year. Um, that left side is going to be really good. Cleveland and Malcolm, they're um, defend, uh, returning first teamers, and then they're just going to figure it out, I think. I think they'll be all right. Um, you kind of got to worry when you go up against the, the Big 12 athletes, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be as big a concern as, um, as people think it will be. Now, it, it'll, like... Finding the center is going to be tough. Like, looking at guys like, um, I don't have their depth chart, but Garrett Larson played left guard. He's not going to play left guard this year. He'll probably No, play. he's starting center on the Yeah, that's what I mean. He's either, I was going to say center or right, right guard because I didn't have in front of me. But that's three guys who played almost two, played double digits, or actually three, so they'll be fine. Like, four guys who played almost ten games last year, I believe. Is that right? Or three guys. Three. One. I am, I can't read tonight. Four people played a lot. That's what I'll say. And then, what do you got next? I'm well, well Larson, had, Larson had seven <laughs> starts at three different positions. That's so what I was I think, looking for. You know, I, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, that's why I figured he may not. He's not going to be a left guard, even though it might be his primary label position. He played wherever, which is a big deal. If he can play, say there are injury issues this year, he may have to go to go to one of the guard positions to rotate around to fit in one of the younger guys because that versatility is huge, and that's uh, what will help this engine run. See, I think if there's one question that is a little bit pressing to me when I when I looked further into the numbers because on the on the year I think if you just look at what they did as far as adjusted sack rate for instance you know Rippin had a sack rate around five percent Montel Cozart ended up around seven and a half percent both of those figures are pretty good but when you look at what they did on a game-by-game basis what I started to notice was that they struggled a little bit against really competitive front sevens and I, I had to kind of do a little bit of digging to find these numbers. But, you know, Rippon last year had 23 attempts against Troy. And, you know, the Trojans ended up sacking Boise State quarterbacks four times in that game. You know, Wyoming managed three sacks and Rippon only had 19 attempts. And in the two games that they played against Fresno State at the end of the year, you know, Rippon had 62 dropbacks and the Bulldogs managed six sacks between those two games. And so while they did improve on the whole over the course of the year, I feel like to at least a little bit of, you know, of a degree that the, the overall numbers are a little deceptive. And I want to see them hold up a little bit better against, you know, elite pass rushes. And to their credit, you know, I think it helps to, to point out that they didn't give up any sacks against San Diego State, which I think made a huge difference in that game. And you know, for as often as they had to throw the ball to come back against Colorado State, the Rams only managed two sacks, and I think they threw the ball almost 50 times in that game. So, you know, they did have some successes, but, you know, if they want to ensure that they don't, you know, fall victim to an upset or anything like that, some kind of unexpected, you know, offensive struggles, if they can do a little bit better job of keeping Ripon upright, I think that'll make Broncos fans feel a lot better in the long run. All right, Raj, do you have any last offensive line or offense thoughts overall before we move to the uh, vaunted defense? Uh, you know, I, I don't like saying anything negative about any of the players because I'm a fan at heart. Um, That's fine. I, I think uh, the starting right tackle, Andres Preciado, um, I, I just hope he's a senior this year. So, I mean, um, I think he's kind of the big question mark, but, I, you know, they – if if he um if he had a good spring and a good fall, I think that's going to be a difference maker. I think that's the one one position on the line that I'm a little bit a little bit worried about. Here's what you do: you stick Zachary Trouton, who's six six three nineteen, to push <laughs> some guys over. 
Right. <laughs> just do that. Put him in there. He's like he, or you got Nick Crabtree, six seven, two ninety. Jeez. Just yeah. do it. Come on. You're just give give a little push. You're good. Just come on. You can you can hand do a handful of plays, right? <laughs> well, the one last thing since we're talking about this is um I thought Dante Harrington would get the would get the nod at starting center. And on the depth chart, he's only listed at backup center. Um he didn't really bounce around too much because last year he was a freshman, this year he's a sophomore, but maybe we'll see some more versatility but from him. All right, let's go to defense where me and Matt overlooked Leighton Van Der Esch. Are we forgiven for that sin at the moment? <laughs> Um, Never. Yeah, I think you're you're forgiven. I think um, yes. what happened, and this is just a product of 2018 or 2017. You kind of were just teasing <laughs> Boise State a little bit, and um, you know he Vanderish is a local kid, and um, mm-hmm. we're really proud of him. So, I, um, I think what it was like, he, well, he like for a lot of games. So we're not watching. Well, at least not me. Like watching specific games all the time. We'll blaster a bunch of them. He made amazing plays all the time. We can't deny it, but it's like player of the year. It's like sometimes you want volume, but it's not like we'd give it to Frank Ginda, obviously, but sometimes like it's one of those things where he, he stands out and makes plays. His numbers overall were still really good, but just not like amazingly good, I thought, at some points. But it's also part of who you're playing, the team you're on, and so that's probably where. But then when you see him, when you're basically watching the title game and he does all those things, so it's just it's just where it's, sometimes you – the player of the year goes by the best numbers, but he made the biggest place after time. So I just move on. Cause I don't want to mention that again. Cause now on the Cowboys, I thoroughly enjoy. So go do well with Dallas there. So, so defense, like they bring everybody back. Defensive line. Great. Besides Van Der Esch, everybody's back defensive front. This defense, what do they bring back? 10 starters. Is that correct? I believe. Uh, well, technically nine because um, there are other weak side linebacker. I think the, Gabe Perez was considered a starter, even though he got injured midway through the season. But so it's nine or ten, depending on how you want to slot it. So let me ask you this right now: since Matt here, who's better, Fresno or Boise defense? Are you asking me or Roger? Eddie, go for it, Matt. You haven't spoken. Go for it, Matt. Go for it. Uh, He'll rebuttal. <laughs> that, that's how we'll do it. I mean, I, I look at just how many playmakers this defense has coming back at every level, you know, and. I just think, oh my God, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because and it, it's not, it's one thing just because, you know, you look at their numbers from last year and, you know, they were number one in the, in the conference as far as, you know, yards per play allowed on the ground. And they, you know, allowed roughly 55% of the opponent's completion rate. And, you know, they were in the top three, I think, as far as quarterback rating is concerned. And then you realize Van Der Esch is the only guy they really have to replace. That's and, it, yeah. You know, you think of like how high this ceiling for this unit is going to be. And, you know, I actually had someone ask me earlier today about, you know, their overall havoc rate from last year, because, you know, if you go to football study hall, you notice that they have it, you know, the overall havoc rate, but then they have it by units. And interestingly, I'm not sure how this worked out, but Boise State was dead last in linebacker havoc rate last year. Hmm. And this seems like a typo, but... You know, when you look at some of the other numbers and you realize, like, just how good this defense was, you know, even despite the occasional hiccup, how good they were all year long. You know, they were top 10 as far as, old, you know, containing explosive plays. They were, you know, well above average top 15 in, op- in defensive opportunity rate. So they weren't allowing very many big plays through the air or on the ground. And... I don't know. I just don't know where you start talking about this defense because they've got playmakers pretty much everywhere. I think I figure out why they were maybe not near the top because if you give the havoc rate 
um, what it means, total tackles for loss, passes defended to force fumbles divided by total plays. And so when you look at that position, TFLs weren't like weren't extremely high. Last is surprisingly, but that's the only spot you could think about it because their TFLs weren't amazing for that group. They were good, but it's it is odd. So that's the only thing I can maybe think of. When you say last, man, are you talking about last in conference or last in? No, last nationally. Oh wow! It is. But just then, odd, but then yeah. it's like, but then you look at you know if you go to their their advanced profile on Football Study Hall and you look at like their situational defenses, you know. Every, you know, every single quarter they were top 50 at, and in three of those quarters, they were top 30, you know, by downs, first down, second down, third down, they were top 40 every single time. So it almost makes me wonder, like, I wish they had a count of like how many one or two yard plays they allowed, because I feel like, you know, that's what the numbers are really trying to tell you about what this defense was able to accomplish last year. You know, even if they weren't making disruptive plays that show up on the stat sheet, you know, the fact that they still led the conference in, in rushing defense and things like that, those numbers don't lie. Well, I mean, and that's specifically the linebacker group, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it was interesting, too, because, like, the defensive line wasn't that much better. They were 117th, but it was just one of those things. It's one of those weird quirks in the numbers, I think. Yeah, it might have been. I mean, overall, they were a pretty good defense, so um, that's something to keep an eye on. I mean, I mean, you look at those numbers and then like you look at, for instance, someone like well, we start talking about the defensive line. You talk about someone like Curtis Weaver, who led the conference in sacks last year. And so you think to yourself, OK, yeah, they're probably going to be fine. And Weaver isn't even the only guy they have that can rush the passer because Jabal Frazier came back. You know, he had you know six sacks last year. You know, and even though, you know, Van Der Esch was the only other guy that had more than I think more than two sacks. You know, they've still got, you know, a whole lot of depth who can probably step up and replace that, whether it's Durant Miles or even the guys in the middle like David Moa. You know, if he can get back to where he was in 2016, you know, what are you gonna what are you gonna do? All right. Well, I wanna talk about this defensive line. Okay, so really quickly, I wanna you know, let's take a little trip back in time to 2011. <laughs> Boise State had Billy Wynn, who was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, I think, in the fourth or fifth round. Shea McClellan was drafted in the first round and won a Super Bowl. Uh, Tyrone Crawford was drafted in the third round by the Cowboys. And Chase Baker played a couple of years with the Vikings, I think. And um, Jarrell Root um, had a cup of coffee with, um, you know, the Miami Dolphins. And that was a magnificent defensive line, obviously. I think this line might be as good as that. Might Ooh, be. That's pretty good praise. High praise there. <laughs> so I think, the, you know, David Moe last year, he was banged up and he had, um, you know, he had that legal situation. Not Nothing to get all riled up or crazy. He made a mistake. And, um, you know, I think Curtis, so he he's going to play on Sundays for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, the guy in the middle, Louie, um, he, he's big. He's going to take up a body or two. And I think him and Moe are just going to wreak havoc in the middle. And Curtis Weaver, he, the sack number jumps out. He's not the starter. He's the backup. He's also the backup this year. He plays only on third downs because Jabril Frazier and Durant Miles are that good. So you have five guys who, are, I mean, I'm going to have to defer to Matt because I don't follow the conference that at, like as thoroughly as, and I just kind of focus on Boise State. I got to think that all five of these guys are in the top 20 like defensive linemen in the conference, maybe top 25. I mean, this line is going to be really, really good. And when you got... Four guys like that around a healthy David Moa, that's not going to be good for other quarterbacks in the Mountain West. No, you're right. Like, well, my one thing about that, if Weaver 
only plays third downs, find a spot, find a spot for him, right? If he, I know maybe he does, he does. We know he does great in those situations, but if he's that good, you would, you would think maybe that'll change this year. I don't know. He, we know he's the backup on the depth chart, but get him on the field more often. If he's that good, why is he not in the field? And I know it's, I'm not I the think- coach, but it's just a, a thought. Like get him involved a little bit more somehow because if he's that productive on third down, give him a few plays here or there. It just seems to me it makes sense to give him a few more reps out there to see what he can do. Maybe the like production per play may dip off a tiny bit, but he's good enough for that may not be that big a deal, but still be better than somebody else. I think the other, I think the, the other two ends, um, Jabril Frazier, who's the starting stud mm-hmm. and um, Durant miles are both pretty good too. So um, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, you make, a, but all five of those guys are really good. So they that good, Matt, you think? I mean, I don't see any reason why not. Okay. I just want your input. You, we were putting together a top 50 list. People were, Throwing a hissy fit over Jeffrey Allison, not the best linebacker, because he's what was he number eleven? Matt, is that correct? He was number eleven. Yes. At this point, can we say number nine? Because it's Logan Wilson of Wyoming. This will that'll be out before this comes out. So, mm-hmm. is he the is, is he our top linebacker? Is that correct? He, yes, he is. All right then. All right. Let's but I mean, on. but I mean, there's a reason I think I'm without. I don't have a Google sheet in front of me, but I'm pretty sure we put more members of this defense than any other unit in the conference on our top fifty. Oh, it by far, yeah, we have. I would have had. It, I think I had it here, but there's a lot. So, people, it's whatever team you're on. Relax. You're, it, this list will probably be so so terrible by the season ends. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. But still, check it out, please. <laughs> <laughs> we have like, well, I don't want to give it too much of our list. We're getting close, but we have just in the top ten. I think there's what four Boise State guys. I think is that right? Maybe there are there are three. Spoiler three. alert. Oh, three. Yeah. Oh, I, I had Madison higher than most. So, if you're wondering about, um, it's interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna sidetrack for half a second here. So, for the first team in running back on my list, I have Lexington and Madison, but I voted Washington for some reason, and he's way down on my list. So, it happens, right? Is that okay with you guys, Raj? Is that fine? Is that acceptable? No, I, I think it bounces out. Um, <laughs> it's you know, hard. Trying to create some com- it's a controversy, then you know you're doing a good job. I'm playing both sides. That's what I'm doing here. Because I, I, I've not uh, revealed my vote, so I can do it later and say, see, this list and that list. But let's move on real quick. Let's go to the DBs because we need to uh, wrap this part up here really quick before we get to part two. Well, can we just touch on the linebackers really quickly? Because Oh, yeah, I guess we should maybe. Off. Maybe we should. Yeah, I thought we – no, go for it. I must have overlooked something. So who's going to – let me ask you that. Who's going to maybe take his spot or is there going to be a guy that will be maybe not playmaking ability but like production-wise? Who could be that guy? Well, the guy in the middle is coming back, Tyson Meve, and um, I think he was either I think he made um, all conference second team. So I mean, he's good in the middle. Um, they got Tony Lashley um, from Idaho, and he didn't do a lot in terms of. Um, is he, wait, is he allowed to be on the team for transferring from Idaho? Is that allowed? I think it was a graduate <laughs> There was a transfer, lot of articles about that. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, they got guys that could play. They got um, Blake Whitlock, Riley Wimpy, and Benton Wickersham, who played the last two years. He didn't redshirt. I'm, I'm not sure why he wasn't even on the depth chart, but um, he's really good. But I think the two guys to really look at is the, are the nickel, um, you know, the Sam spot, the uh, Kikala Kahino and um, Desmond Williams. They both were both fighting again on the field. They both played really well. I, I think one of them will take a really big step up and, get on the all-conference team. I don't know which one. That's just my kind of my prediction, not really prediction, not really based on anything objectively, but that's – I think one of those two players will really have a big year this year. And if there's room, like same with the wide receiver group, look, look at all these true freshmen coming in or redshirt guys. 
They right. have plenty of depth. And they, Boise is basically the top recruiting class nearly year in and year out, particularly at the higher end. We get a four-star guy maybe every other year and a plenty of three-star guys. So they have plenty of guys. Again, like that new rule, which will be I think will be interesting to watch the first month or maybe the last month, depending on how they use it, to see if they'll get guys in when they play an FCS team or lower-level teams to convince them a little bit, oh, don't transfer, see how you can play against a – we know the team's not great, but you get playing time. Because that's a big deal. If you can play four games, that's a pretty big deal. And you could show, okay, I am good enough. I could compare it to other guys. So they have, I think, plenty of young guys on this roster that could play occasionally here or there just to figure it out. But it'll be interesting how it works out. So let's go to DBs. Um, Tyler Horton's good. I've heard of him. I've heard of Avery Williams. Kekala Kaneo. I've heard. Is, he, is that, am I saying that correctly? Is he good as well, I believe? Kekala Nawahini. <laughs> there we go, because I'm terrible at names. Say it one more time so I can maybe get it down. Kekala Nawahini. Kekala Kaneo. Jeez. I heard a lot of Boise State fans <laughs> griping about other all conference teams that you know people were putting together. And the fact that Nawahini was not on those lists. And I'm totally on board with that because that guy is really good. Yeah, I mean, um, so all four of those starters, uh, I think Jeremy didn't mention DeAndre Pierce. Oh, sorry, I apologize, Mr. Pierce. (laughs) The son of Antonio Pierce, New York Giant. Um, All four of those guys made the conference team. Now there's a little asterisk with Avery Williams since he made as a special teamer, but I'm going to count it. Um, Still counts. No, he, no oh. he, it counts when he has. What did he have? Like, like, he had like returning kicks, couple interceptions, eight pass breakups. That definitely counts. Come on. Well, yeah, I didn't even know if he was going to play last year, and he went crazy. And um, I, you know, I don't really know very much about uh, Nawahini and Pearson. That is a terrific tandem, and they're both juniors. I'd like to think both of them are going to come back for another year after this. They're really good. I think Nawahini, in particular, I, I think he might be the best. When it's all said and done, he's going to be in the top two or three safeties in the Mountain West Conference. And I know there's a lot of good safeties, mm-hmm. so um, I, I agree with that gripe. He should be on all those lists, in my opinion. Yeah, we got hate or, uh, for Marcus Epps from Wyoming. <laughs> it's like, dang, there's a lot of good safeties. Somebody's going to be right. left off. <laughs> See, and I'll, I'll echo the point that Raja was making earlier about the 2011 defensive line. And I'm trying to think, like, could this be the best – Boise State secondary since fill in the blank, and I was trying to go back and I was trying to find a I was trying to find a a secondary that would stack up with them, or at least you know by the numbers. And I, and I came across 2012. And do you guys remember how absurdly good the, the Boise State secondary was in 2012? Enlighten us. Let us know what happened. That was um, oh, shoot. Why can't the guy that um. The guy that got drafted by the Browns. I, oh, go ahead. Um, they gave up four touchdowns all year long, and they had 18 interceptions. It's pretty yeah, good. That that's, was, um, that's quite good. Hey, hey, guess what, Matt? It wasn't as good as Fresno's deep secondary that year, just so you know. Point that out. Oh, I, I know that. I think <laughs> uh, I think you might be referring to Jamar Taylor, by the way. Yeah, no, Jamar yeah, Taylor. It was yeah. Taylor. Four because, picks that year. No, I actually tweeted at him because I asked him, what are you going to do when you see Brock Osweiler? Because he housed him, I think, um, in Osweiler's last game, and he tweeted back to me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, George Iloka is still in the league um, in the NFL. That was a really um, uh, drill. I don't know. I just kind of blanked out for some reason the, the years in between Kellen Moore and Brian Harson right now. But, um, uh, shoot. Well, they um, like Jeremy Iona was back there, Darian Thompson, a lot of good guys playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But he also yeah. you introduced Brock Osweiler incorrectly. Isn't like six foot ten Brock Osweiler the correct term? Yeah, <laughs> six foot twelve. He just kinda handed the ball off to Jamar Taylor and Taylor took it to the house and that was that was pretty great. So is this going to be the best unit you think, and secondary wise? Because there's a lot of like Wyoming's just pretty good. There's just good, and Fresno should be pretty good as well. I think that will start and end with Tyler Horton because he has the ability to play on Sundays. He has the ability to be a second, maybe third round draft pick, and he just if he just stays healthy and consistent, I think he'll play to that level. And if you have a cornerback that can play at that level all year, it kind of obviously opens it up for the other three guys. And so I think it starts and ends with Tyler Horn, but definitely. Because I think Nawahini and DeAndre Pierce, well, maybe not Pierce, but Nawahini I think will find his way into the NFL. And that's just, those are four just really, really good players. Like, I don't just really know much about the backups because they just couldn't get on the field last year. Yeah, and it, and one thing good good thing about that, I guess, I mean, they're great starters and this great secondary if you look at the conference, like me and Matt mention this all the time, a lot of different offenses. I know CSU will want to throw a lot. Um, I, they don't play Boise doesn't play Hawaii again this year, do they? No, no they, they got San Diego, Fresno, Fresno State, and um, Nevada. Nevada. Well, look, play Nevada. That's a good example. I'll stay in Hawaii because they're doing the run and shoot. Yeah, Nevada. Yeah, Boise smoked them last year quite easily, but that offense is going to pass a ton. And there's a lot of secondaries that are pretty good in the league, but as deep as this. If Nevada's going to somehow pull that off, it'll be very difficult, but they'll have opportunities. Like, Nevada's going to want to throw the ball downfield, and this is a team unit that'll probably more often than not shut that down with how they go four, five, six deep. That will be a challenge for them, but I think they'll be up for it when they play like that team, and assuming CSU will throw, throw a lot like last year. So, plus, you got everybody back, so what's the harm, right? You're going to just crush everybody, I think, correct? Is that your prediction? We'll get to it later, but they're going to be really good. <laughs> All right, I got we got to wrap this up because I've got to hustle real quick. I always overlook special teams. If you've listened, I sometimes go, whatever. But I do know Avery Williams is going to be pretty good. I did predict last year two games for Boise State. There would be special teams turnaround that predicted or ended the game in their favor, and I was right. So we'll see if I can keep that. Yeah, and I wish wish you hadn't done that. Why? Oh, sorry. (laughs) One of of them was the championship game. That's right, right. And the other was, I think, San Diego State game, I believe, too. No, Avery Williams, I was just going to say that Avery Williams might have single-handedly won that San Diego State game. And I remember watching that because I think either Boise State was 2-2 two and two or 3-2 three or three and two at that point. And a lot of us, and I kind of in the back of my mind, I thought this might be, you know, when the hammer falls on us. And instead, it turned the whole year around. And it was really Avery Williams that went crazy that game. Wasn't it um, like a line drive punt return that he like fumbled, not fumbled, but like just kind of bounced around to like the five-yard line or something? Yeah, yeah. And then he took it back. Something like that. <laughs> something weird. But yeah, he had two touchdowns last year. He he made for all conference for returner. Depending what San Diego State does with Washington, that there'll be those two guys most likely. Maybe what Wyoming has, that'll be a good return punts. You got kicks. Is uh is Williams going to pull double duty? You think because with Wilson um, gone, Wolpen, he's not there now, anymore either. Mahoney's so. right now listed on the depth chart, but we'll see. The that's, backup running back, Robert Mahoney, is listed number one in the depth chart for kick run turner, and that's the only person they listed. So okay. obviously they got to put go. two on the field and have backups. So we'll see what happens. And you got the new rule change that may impact a little right. bit. So how much do you care about punting? I want to hear your punting takes here. <laughs> Quint Skillen is not on scholarship, but the rumor is that he might get um, Cam Thomas' scholarship. So that's that's the my hot take that um, I'm not <laughs> – obviously I'm not getting the inside buzz. I think I read that off like Dave Southern or one of the other beat writers. But um, they don't have a punter on scholarship. But Uh-oh. Quint Skillen last year, he did pretty well. Um, didn't make a conference team, but um, – might get a scholarship, so there's that. 
And he yeah, put I, it thought, quite well. I thought I had seen the same thing. I thought that it actually happened already. Okay. Well, um, so who's going to be their place kicker then? Is that like Boise brings like everybody back? So it's like three starters yeah. on both sides. It's like what are they going to do? Oh no! Officially, as of yesterday, he did get a scholarship. So he did yesterday. All right. Awesome. As of well, that would be Tuesday. It looks like. All right. Well, then I broke that news. <laughs> Let's just say we recorded this three days ago. We did. This is on August fourth, people. So future, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Congrat no, congratulations. Getting scholarship, that's a big deal, so good for him. Definitely. Oh, um Hayden Hogarth, he was um I think second team last year and Joe Velasquez is backup. He's got a big leg, so they should be fine at the kickers. Fifty seven PATs made. That's ridiculous. Sixteen of eighteen, two from forty plus. So hats off to you, right? Because I that's fifty I don't know, fifty seven, that just seems ridiculous. That's well, I guess when Boise scores every other possession, right? Well, yeah, they put up a lot of points and when you have when you come back on Colorado State and go into overtime and Ooh. just pummel into submission, there it that's is. a lot of extra points in that game. Twist a knife. Deservedly uh, so. You're down 28-3, come back, win in overtime. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, and I know you got to bounce, and we'll talk about the games tomorrow, but listening to you talk about how Colorado State blew their best chance, that was just music <laughs> to my ears. I rewinded that and played that a few times. I mean, that that was my favorite podcast to listen they, to. They had the chance. like They were my team last year to predict go far, and they had opportunities but didn't deliver versus Colorado and then Boise State. So what are you going to do, right? You, gotta, you have your chances. You can't blow it. All right. So I think, um, Matt, you're going to be skipping tomorrow, So, but we'll hear you next on the – Fresno State podcast, but a little teaser for tomorrow when me and Jeremy do the pre- part two previews. A little, little, a little teaser, a little preview. I think the worst case scenario for Boise State is ten and two, and the best case scenario is twelve and zero. And I'm going to pick a number between that. So, oh boy! All right, so, all right, excellent. So we'll take a quick break for everybody here listening. It'll be like sixty seconds, but for us, it'll be the next day. So yeah, stay tuned for the record, and uh, we'll see you next time. For, or I guess um, just hang out for sixty seconds, folks. We'll be back.